Uh, so church, do you remember when you were, uh, you were a kid, maybe eight, nine years old, and there was like a cabinet or there was a drawer or there was uh, an area underneath the sink that was totally off limits uh, to you, right? And if you're anything like me as a kid, it just made you want to find out what's in there even more. Like it just sparked this curiosity and it's like, I need now to get into that cabinet that's supposed to be off limits. And, and chances are your parents, your, your guardians, you know, whoever was in your house, they didn't... Uh, they didn't put that area off limits to try to like keep fun from you. They put that area off limits as a way of protecting you. Because if you were to open up that area underneath the sink, what you might find is like dishwasher cleaning tablets. They might find cleaning chemicals in there. You'd find like some pills that they didn't want the kids to dig into. Because if you were to ingest them, if you were to swallow them, if somehow maybe even if there's a mousetrap under there or something that would that that you would even touch in the wrong way it would be extraordinarily harmful to you and that's really what this series is about at its core it's called poison control and what we're doing is just kind of recognizing that there are some things that are just toxic maybe not to our bodies but this series is about it being toxic to our spiritual lives they're toxic to our hearts that if these things kind of found a way inside it could really do some significant damage to ourselves to our relationship with God to our relationships with one another even hurting those we love the most and so what we're doing is we're sort of uh, identifying a few of these, a few of these toxins or th- a few of these poisons that, that have the ability to threaten us, and and because we care, we we want to root those things out before they find a footing, before they find that place inside of our hearts. So I just kind of want to give you a, a little tour of this series where we've been, and maybe a little bit on where we're going. Um, let's get that slide on the screen. We started off, and we talked about envy last week. Joe did a fantastic job there. Uh, anger we've got coming up. We've got um, uh, we've got desire and part five. That's like lust. That's kind of like the spicy one. You're probably not going to want to miss part five of that one. I think it's going to be pretty good. But it's, uh, it's this one right here that I want to kind of hang out in today. Uh, because if you kind of look at this macro list of these different uh, themes that we're talking about, these different toxins or poisons, there's one of them that just jumps right off the list for me in particular. And that's anger. Some of you are going to be surprised that of all of the list of toxins and poisons, I'd pick anger as my go-to. If you're close to me, if you're a family member of mine, you're going to be less surprised that anger is the thing that jumps off the screen for me in particular. Uh, It comes through in a couple of different ways. Uh, There's one way where it's like quick-tempered kind of anger that just seems like it comes out of nowhere and like like flares flares up. Uh, My wife and I were talking earlier and we uh, discovered together at the same time, which is so helpful, uh, we've discovered at the same time that we went on our very first date on this day, July 23, 22 years ago, which is pretty awesome. I love that, right? Exactly. Um, What that means uh, is that we know each other pretty well. Uh, What that means is that we know (laughs) the quickest, most expeditious way to drop just one line, one sentence, maybe even one word that just like digs into that other person as sharply and as harshly as possible. And that's that quick anger. Like as the word or words are coming out of my mouth, you, you've heard that, that toothpaste thing. Words are like toothpaste. I just wish that I could grab them and like shove them back in, but, but they don't work that way. That anger doesn't 
work that way. Um, my kids, I, I think about the number of times that I've had to do the tough parent thing and to, to sit down like eyeball to eyeball with them, look them in the eye and to say, I am sorry. Like dad messed up. Dad did something wrong here and I need to ask for your forgiveness. And nearly every single time that I've had to do that, it was about an anger thing. It was about a temper thing, something that just got away from me. It's a much longer story than I have time to share with you today, but the, but the high, loads are, high notes of this is that there was a time when I took away my son's stuffed animal and, and lost him. Not my finest moment by a parent at all. You shouldn't even take away this is the anger thing. This is confession here time. This is not like, hey, this is a good parenting move. This is definitely not a good parenting move. I was trying to teach him a lesson, and so I took the, the stuffed animal away. I hit it, and then I lost it. And worst of all, I blamed him for always losing his things. I found it like two or three months later after the fact, and man, the apology that I needed to make, I mean... It's going to come back in therapy at some point. I think I'm just going to have to like foot the bill for that one later on. It's like every single time I, th- I can think of that I've had to just apologize to my kids. It's about this thing or doing something, saying something that I just wish that I could take back. It's a quick-tempered thing. Some of you are going, it's a slow burn kind of thing. Um, more Dirk's confession time because that feels appropriate. I've been around this church for a little while. I've seen some transition. I've seen some change around here from the living room to the cafeteria to the location to the second location. Like, like I've, through COVID, I've seen us move through some things. I've learned some things along the way. And sometimes uh, people around here have the audacity, right, to, to not, it feels like they're not taking my wisdom and my insight into consideration in some of the decisions that are made. Make sure you notice It's not that they're not taking my insights into consideration. It's that it feels like they're not taking my insights into consideration. And so there's like this slow burn, kind of like this resentment or this bitterness that starts to develop, that starts to like swell inside of me. And I don't think I'm the only one. You, church, would be remarkably blessed by our time this morning as as we entered into our scripture passage today. Uh, that you didn't ask yourself, am I an angry person? No, 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 far better. You ask yourself, what kind of angry person am I? Because it is the air we breathe. It is the water that we drink. We live in an outrage culture where there's just media, there's agencies there that are built on getting us to be angry and to express outrage at one another, at some other side. And so I don't think we can escape any of that and say, no, no, I'm not an anger person. That's not, that's not inside of me. And even if that it was, we're going to find out that that's not even right either. So one counselor in looking at this said, these are some of the, the signs. These are some of the, the warning issues about what kind of uh, angry, person, angry person you are. And we're not going to uh, show of hands, but this can be like a, like a in your heart kind of show of hands, right? If you're sitting next to somebody and you know them pretty well, maybe you dated now for 22 years, I give you my blessing to like squeeze their knee or just kind of tap their shoulder when I say one of these lines and you're like, oh yeah, that's us. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> Somebody's watching online like, see, that's why I do. That's why I do online church. It's much better in person. Uh, if you've said things like, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. I think I used that line this morning. Why can't I have a bad day without it being a big deal? 
Oh, and I guess you've never made a mistake. You're just being too sensitive. I'm sick of being the only one who ever says I'm sorry. I'm sorry to unload on you. I just needed to vent. Just a, just a starter list to kind of get us thinking, not am I an angry person, but what kind of angry person am I and what kind of angry person does God want me to be? Uh, to get there, we're going to go to a passage in Scripture that, uh, uh, that, that, uh, that is specifically written t- towards this. And because I have absolutely blown my credibility in talking about anger so far, I'm going to try to step aside and let the words of Scripture shine for themselves. This one's going to come from Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. You can find it if you'd like to follow along in a paper Bible. We'll get the words up on the screen here in just a moment. But I've got I to frame it for us, church, uh, because these, these words are so powerful. Uh, Ephesians 4 starts off in the category heading is something like um, instructions for Christians or like Christians, uh, Christian living, so, something along those. And there's a, there's a list of do's and don'ts. And if we were to just jump into Ephesians 4 and to start reading the very practical wisdom of God expressed through Paul to you 2,000 years later, and if you left here today with some kind of an understanding that following after Jesus is following a list of do's and don'ts, on my part, that would be called spiritual malpractice. I can't do that to you. I can't allow you to think that at the heart of God and the heart of this faith, the gospel, is a list of do's and don'ts. It's not. So we're going to go into Ephesians 4 in just a moment, but I do have to highlight that Paul in Ephesians, he's writing this letter to his real-life church, not unlike Encounter, but 2,000 years ago in the city of Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, and he spends the first three chapters not telling them what to do, but telling them who they are. In Ephesians, he starts off his letter in chapter 1, 2, and 3. He's just going, and this is who you are, and this is who God is. You were spiritually dead in your sins until God spoke the first word into your life and brought you up to life in the power of his resurrection. God is able to do immeasurably more than you could even ask or imagine. You are God's handiwork. You are God's cherished possession. He's just going on and on and on. And you're like, he's gushing. He's gushing. Because that's how God feels about you. And so we got to know, as we enter into this, it's sort of like nuts and bolts, how-to passage, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. It's a who you are. This is who you are in God. And now that you know who you are, we can start to talk a little bit about how to act like it. Uh, we start off in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 26. He goes, okay, here's some instruction time. In your anger, do not sin. And I love that. In your anger, do not sin. Um, this is like a, like a Bible study here, so we're going we're gonna to highlight a couple of things here. You can kind of see these little, uh, these little quotation marks over here. I think that's really important for us to recognize that Paul, when he's, uh, when he's writing Scripture, he doesn't know he's writing Scripture. He's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. But when he's, uh, when he's writing these words, he's, he's quoting the Old Testament. Uh, it's important for us as uh, New Testament Christians to realize that there's not like old Bible and new Bible and the new one replaced the old. Is, is they, they work hand in glove. Uh, and, and Paul teaches this to us by quoting regularly from the Old Testament. So we read the Old Testament. The more we understand the one, the more we appreciate and, and see the depth in the other one. Uh, Paul's quoting, in this case, it's um, Psalm 4, verse 4. You could translate this something like, uh, be angry, don't sin. And that's really that line, in your anger, or in Psalm 4, verse 4, be angry, 
that we start to get a little bit lost, isn't it? And I don't know totally where this comes from, but it's not Jesus' story, and it's not our story as Christians and Jesus' followers. But we don't like to think ourselves as as allowing to get angry about some things. It's, I don't know if it's like a Midwest thing where we want to just be nice all the time. So we take our frustrations or we take our anger and we just like stuff them like, like way down there. We just, we just bury it and we don't want to let it come out because after all, like anger is such a terrible thing. And then Paul speaks into this and he's going, yeah, be angry though, be angry and don't sin. And you're going, that kind of breaks my impression or breaks my idea about what it means to be a Jesus follower. And then you pick up, pick up a Bible and you start reading the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there's only a handful of events that are recorded in all four of the gospel messages. We got four accounts of the Jesus, Jesus story. The resurrection is included in all of the Jesus accounts. Another one that's included in all four Jesus accounts is the time Jesus got uproariously angry at the people. He goes, into the, he goes into the temple, and some of you have heard this one, have heard this story. He goes in there, he sees there's bankers and there's salespeople uh, kind of pitching their wares in the temple courts. And he's so angry. Mark has them flipping over these tables. John, probably Jesus' best friend, remembers Jesus taking a, a, a cord and braiding it together and, and like whipping the people to kind of like even the playing field, one versus many, and driving them out. And you're going, this dude was angry. He was very angry, yet in his anger, there was no sin. And we understand a little bit more culturally what was happening in that moment is that it wasn't just that people were hawking their wares. Uh, bankers and salespeople were, were at work within the temple, temple gates. Is that the, the system, the religious system of the day required that people made a sacrifice in order to get forgiveness, in order to get good with God. And they were selling those sacrificial animals at jacked up prices. Jesus sees the injustice of bankers and salespeople jacking up the price of getting right with God. And he won't stand for it. We see that Jesus was an angry person. Now I'm asking you, uh, what kind of anger do you have? And also, how would God uh, direct or potentially redirect some of that anger? I want to submit to you, it's not okay for us to pull back and say, listen, I'm just going to stuff all that anger down. First of all, it has a way out, and we know that, right? Somebody once called West Michigan emotionally constipated, which I just love. (laughs) You can have that. That's yours now. (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't work that way, right? Uh, at the same time, Jesus shows us this other way of like expressing our anger. And, and so like, what's the, what's the difference? This definition that somebody gave of, uh, of a good kind of anger. Anger is a destructive energy released in defense of something that you love. Said just another way and far more simply, your anger signals what you love. Your anger signals what you love. A lot of this time this morning is going to be inviting you to play a little detective work with your own heart. And when you when you find those moments of, of welling up, what is it that you love? In our conversation today about anger, I'd like to share like two general broad thoughts. One is on uh, direction. 
the direction of our anger. The second thing is gonna be on the duration of our anger. So first of all, uh, the direction of our anger. Uh, Jesus is directing his anger. It's not at the bankers. It's not at the, at the salespeople in the temple gates, although they're certainly <laughs> collateral, you're right? They're, they're around. He, the anger is directed at the injustice that they're inflicting on his, the people of God. When you get angry about something, what is the thing behind that? What is it signaling? What is it that you love? It's been long said that anger is a secondary emotion. I'm inviting you to consider what your primary emotion is. Like what's really, doing the detective work, what's really going on there? I shared the very embarrassing story earlier about how I took away my, my kid's stuffed animal, hit it, lost it, and then found it two and a half months later. Why did I do that? I did a little detective work with, with me. I'll go first. I'm kind of used to having some level of influence around the people around me. I've worked at Encounter Church for 13 years now, and I'm just short of used to like kind of being on the same page and, and being heard and, and kind of people saying like, okay, that makes sense. Let's, let's go forward together. And then when I see the audacity of a child of mine who chooses to act like a child of mine. <laughs> anger. And it's not a Jesus kind of righteous anger that the direction, right, is all off. The anger is a secondary emotion, the primary emotion for me in that moment. Man, I've got a certain kind of pride. I mean, I'm used to people saying like, sure, okay, let's do this thing, let's move together. And this kid has the audacity to say no. I mean, come on. And there's this like wounded pride thing that comes up in me. I want to invite you to play a little detective and think about, and to think about a very hypothetical situation. If it sounds familiar to you, uh, it's not you. It's just sort of a compilation of people who might find themselves in situations that you have found yourselves in. You are a person who likes to be on time for things. And you know, because GPS tells you, that you have to be pulling out of the driveway in exactly five minutes in order to be on time. And you are patiently waiting. <laughs> and she comes down the stairs at two minutes to driveway time and holds up a dress next to the one that she already has on and says, which one of these do you like better? And you know that there is no way that your car is going to be exiting the driveway in 120 seconds or less. It's just not going to happen. There's no answer. 22 years of dating, I figured it out. There's no answer that's going to get you there. Why is it? I'm just asking, why is it that, you, that, that the anger comes up? If that's a, primary, a secondary emotion, what's like the primary thing? I like to be on time because of the respect. It communicates respect for the people around. No. Respectfully, I don't think that's what it is. You're not going to see these people again. No. Uh, let me take another shot at it. Successful people are on time. And it's important to me to be viewed, even by strangers, as being a successful person. And when I'm even a minute late, some of that is taken away from me. It's my vanity that keeps me in anger. Where's yours? Point number one is a, is a directional thing. Point number two is a duration thing. We'll go back to our verse here. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Still angry. This line that we have here about the sun going down 
is respectfully probably one of the most misunderstood and misapplied passages in the entire Bible. Uh, I've been around for a little while. I've been around with couples for a little while trying to kind of work things out. And and something that kind of keeps coming up in in a few forms, so let me just pop this bubble for you like right now, is that there's this saying that comes out of a passage like this one that's like, never go to bed angry. Some of you, show of hands, you've heard it. I'm not saying you believe it. I'm just saying you've heard, right? We've heard it. And we're like, that seems good. Like, like fix stuff before you go to bed. Let's, let's try to do that. I tried to do that. You've probably tried to do that. And a decade later, the only thing that you have to show for it is a lot of arguments at like 2 a.m. that just go unresolved anyway. By the way, the passage talks about the sun going down. Friend, the sun has set a long time ago. The ship has sailed. Get some sleep, Right? What we've done in this passage, let's come back to it. What we've done in this passage is that we've taken this word angry and its root of what angry means is like this, it comes from the word orge. It's like this ecstatic, out of body kind of experience. This is rage. We've taken this word that's like, don't go to bed. Don't let the sun go down. Just holding on to this rage and we've substituted in for it any kind of conflict. So couples will have this argument of like, or friends will have this argument, right, of like how to get along or navigating a a tea time for the next day or like whatever the thing, whatever the argument is going to be with couples is this big conflict. It's really unresolvable in one night. How many kids kids should we have? Two or three. And it's like two and a dog is not a compromise, right? These are not the same thing. You can't figure this thing out and you're not going to figure this thing out tonight. And so we read this thing and we're like going, okay, well, I can't, I can't go to bed while there's still conflict in our relationship. And I'm like, no, that's not what it says, right? When you go on and you just argue with each other at 2 a.m. in the morning, you're not going to figure out that conflict. It says rage. It says anger. It says like this out-of-body kind of experience. There's a, a social researcher, John Gottman, and uh, he's at Gottman Institute. You can look him up afterwards. He's got all this stuff. And... Uh, he watches couples argue, like as his uh, experiments, right? They know, they're in on it. They know what they're doing. They know what they're signing up for. And he just watches them have a conflict together. And then, uh, and then he makes some observations on them. And he is able to predict whether or not they're together in 10 years with 92% accuracy. He knows what he's doing. Just watching them argue for 20 minutes. And he's just made a few, uh, a few observations along the way. One of those that I think would be helpful in relation to our passage today, if you're experiencing anger, this conflict kind of thing, which are two separate things, anger and conflict, but if you're experiencing conflict and you get angry and your heart rate goes over 100 beats per minute, statistically speaking, there will be no conflict resolved until you can bring that heart rate down and address this with a clear mind. He addresses this from like a physiological brain chemistry kind of perspective. And he goes, your brain flips into a new gear when your heart rate gets going. When when you're in that ecstatic rage that Paul is talking about here, he goes, your brain flips into like lizard brain mode. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But it's, it's fight or flight. You're not trying to fix the conflict at all. You're not trying to resolve anything. You're just trying to win or get out. And there's not going to be a resolution to the conflict in that moment. A better application of these words, not letting the sun go down while you're still angry, looks like this. Honey, it's 2 a.m. And I love you. And I care about you. And I'm committed to you. And I don't think that we're going to resolve this conflict tonight. Can we come back to it tomorrow? See, what I'm doing there is we're not letting anger, rage win. 
We're not letting that rage get a hold of our heart. We're letting the rage go while still experiencing some of this conflict that we can address and we can resolve in the future. Uh, by the way, the temple clearing uh, anger that Jesus had a little bit earlier, uh, where he goes in, the, the bankers and the, and the salespeople, and, and he makes a whip and drives them out. I didn't, I didn't notice this until, uh, honestly, earlier this week. And so I get so excited, I want to share it with you. Um, one of those stories is told by Mark, highlights this thing. And in Mark chapter 11, we read that just before the Jesus clearing story takes place, Mark says, by the way, Jesus entered Jerusalem like he was already there. He knew what was going on. And he went into the temple courts and he looked around at everything, you know, and you know what he saw. We remember what he saw. People getting ripped off. But since it was already late, how much of our marriages could be improved by just applying some of the, hey, since it's late, I think maybe we come back to this thing tomorrow. Since it's already late, Jesus went out to Bethany with the 12. And then later in the chapter in Mark 11, Mark's going to have him coming back and doing the temple clearing thing. Jesus took a beat. I think you and I could too. <laughs> Clear heads, coming at the situation, letting the rage thing go so you can address the actual core in the conflict. Because this is what's at stake right here. Um, this is what's at stake. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The foothold is a, a, the, the Greek word there, a foothold, is a, a tapos. It's where we get our word topography from. It's a place. Uh, military speaking, you could think of it as a forward position. You could also think about it as a room, a, a tapas in relation to somebody's home would be the guest room in your house. And the encouragement of Paul here is, listen, don't, don't make the devil a guest. Don't invite him in. Don't invite that division to just hang out. So I want to apply this now. It's not, are you an angry person? It's what kind of angry person are you? And I think we've got two kinds. Uh, we've done this before. I'm coming back to it now. We've got spewers and we've got stewers. Spewers express their anger. That's, that's a charitable way of saying it. And, and we're going we're gonna to be charitable here today, right? Because it's about anger. Uh, spewers express their anger. Uh, stewers suppress their anger. And we think they're totally different. Because spewers... We'll just like word vomit over anybody and everybody around them. And you all just kind of become collateral damage. And it makes me feel better. But I'm telling you, you're the only one. <laughs> and we think stewards are so much better because they, they suppress their anger. Let me tell you something that you probably already know, especially if you're a spewer. Um, stewards, they will have some nasty, knock-down, drag-out, no-holds-barred kind of fights. The only difference is that it happens in their mind, <laughs> right? You, those of you who are stewards, like, like you guys, you get it, don't you? And you're like, man, I have gone through every word. I've gone through every reply, every excuse, and I've got a rebuttal to every single one of those. And I've played it out in my mind a million different ways. And in every one of those, I win, <laughs> It's just as violent as the spewers. It's just happening one-sided in your mind. And it comes out. It comes out as being sullen and withdrawn. It comes out 
as being cynical and sarcastic. And sometimes we think, well, it's good, it's good, for, it's good for them, it's good for the people around. The sarcasm is good for those kids, yeah? Toughens them up. It doesn't. It doesn't toughen them up. It just makes it tougher for you to connect with them. Stewers and spewers. Directional thing, durational thing. What do, we, what do we do? What do we do with all this? Because as we heard Jesus express his anger, so the idea of saying like, hey, if you're a stewer, try being a spewer. Or if you're a spewer, try being a stewer. Just switching these things around. That's not it. That's not it. We're going to reach a little bigger than that. We're going to reach a little deeper than that. We're going to follow this role of Jesus. And we're not just going to invert those positions of swapping one evil for another. What we're going to do instead is read the next line. Jesus now, again, enters, oops, nope, iPads, okay, Uh, I don't even know where I am anymore, there we go, Uh, we're doing this all, the entire Ephesians passage is all in one line, and so we continue on in the verse, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, Uh, anger is a a thief of joy, Uh, but he must work doing something, operative word here, useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those, share with those in need. Do something, do something useful. It's not what kind of angry person am I, it's it's where am I going to direct this anger? And the encouragement here is to to do something useful. It's, It's to find that that purpose is to find that passion. And I've been around some of you and you have found it and it is so awesome and it is so encouraging and beautiful to see. Like your anger at some kind of injustice in the world and maybe it's like a special needs ministry. Maybe it's uh, providing for food insecure families right here in West Michigan through these partnerships, Kids Food Basket and the Green Apple Pantry. Uh, some of you have like taken on this clean water for developing nations around the world. And it's like, this is the thing, the injustice that I'm going to get angry about. And instead of ripping all kinds of things down, you're building something beautiful in its place. And you're doing something useful, especially for those in need that we just heard about. If you're like still looking for something, still needing to like cling on to something around here and encounter the thing that we're passionate about right now, the injustice that we're angry about right now is happening all the way around the world, halfway around the world in Nepal, in Kathmandu, Nepal. We've got a family leaving here next weekend. They're leaving August 1, the Maharjan family. They're going to start a brand new church in Nepal in no small part because of this unjust system that exists over there. This system of the, the caste system where, where you're born into some kind, of, some kind of stage of life. And it doesn't matter what you accomplish. It doesn't matter the things that you do or the person that you become in your entire life. No, no, you're there. And maybe you're on the top and that's awesome for you or maybe you're on the bottom and it's not because they call you an untouchable and Satya's sharing this story, the, the pastor of this church, and he's going, um, if, if you're an untouchable and you're, and you're going to do business with somebody and you reach out your hand to accept the change, the cashier, seeing that you're an untouchable, will raise his or her hand up high just to make sure and to make a show that they would never come into contact with such a low human being such as yourself. And we have the opportunity as Jesus followers to speak directly into that world, into that unjust system with our missionaries heading to Nepal, starting a church that says, you need to know something. You need to know that that person, whoever they are, high stage or low, 
High stage with the untouchable. You need to know that they don't just have the image of God. They are the image of God walking around here on earth. You can see him in this person. They have incredible value, dignity, and worth, not because of anything that they've done. It's because of who they are. God made them, and they are his. And the gospel power that gets to shine through when somebody learns of themselves as the image of God for the very first time. If you want to know more about it, encounterchurch.org slash Nepal. It's an incredible missionary effort. I'd love for you to join along partnership. As a final note in our conversation today about anger, identifying what kind of angry person we are, and then directing where it's going to go towards something useful, we got to recognize something. And honestly, I want to, it's on my heart, I want to share this. I didn't know where else in the message to share it, so I'm going to put it at the end. Sometimes life doesn't go well. Sometimes we get a raw deal. And it probably hurts most when it hurts somebody close to us. And on their behalf, we're going, she deserved better. God, he deserved better. And as followers of Jesus and as students of the Bible, what we do is we take those emotions and we lay them at the feet of God, at the throne room of God. And we lay it down there and we say, God, this is your mess. Why? How long? The verbiage is called lament. It's a protest. God, in your right world, bad things wouldn't happen. So God, do something about this, would you? And I want to identify, it's a thin line for us. It's a thin line for us uh, to address God with the cry of our heart and, and lament versus stepping over this line of in your anger, do not sin, of being accusatory to God and condemning God. And so in our time together, in your conversations with God, and you might be very, very angry at God right now. And listen, if I experienced what you have experienced, I probably would say and believe the same things that you are saying and believing right now. But this is our time, our opportunity to remind each other of a couple of truths. Is that Jesus led the way by not getting what he deserved. Because we can talk all day long about what we think we deserve or don't deserve. But Jesus is the one who, who led the way. of He deserved heaven. And we gave him hell. And in return, Jesus took all of this malice and anger and rage on himself and left it in the grave. He rose up from new life. And instead of getting even, he gave grace. And then he invited each one of us, Jesus' followers, along the way and said, here's something to do with your anger. Here's something to do with your rage. Rage, rage against the systems of injustice. Be angry at those that oppress others. Jesus said, but follow me and follow the path that I charted for you in giving grace even to our oppressors, even to those who hurt us. Forgiveness and mercy every step of the way. That's our story. I want you to stand up and let's pray together, church. Jesus, we come to you, Lord, and uh, some of us have some anger. Some of us have some anger at you. Some of us have the, some anger at the, at the world around us. 
God, we hand it over to you today and we ask you to shape it and to form it. Uh, like those cleaning products we heard about earlier, God, it, it has a purpose. It has a usefulness to it. Show us what it is. Show us what that looks like. Sometimes we just don't know. God, shape and form not only our anger, shape and form our entire lives to make us live, to make us love more and more like you to express your good, good grace.